This episode's brought to you by everynowheremusic.com. Yep, you got that right. That's yours truly. So if this is an endeavor you'd like to support, please come and sign up for my newsletter at everynowheremusic.com. Every nowhere or every now here, depending on whichever way you prefer to look at it. Okay, so Bernard Chimpelsberger. Mm, two things. He's a brother. And he's badass. And he's also one of a kind. There's a certain dynamic we kind of always had. And I'd go as far to say that this podcast will display at least a certain element to that. In a lot of ways, I dare say our artistic personalities do kind of mirror each other. Although very different spaces. That being said and done, um, he's also one of my dearest friends and dear collaborators and even though the actual duration of the work that we've done wouldn't qualify as uh, uh, one of those veteran collaborations the intensity of it probably uh, remains unsurpassed till yet at least for me personally there's a whole bunch of literature on him i highly recommend you read up on in a lot of ways this gentleman is a history maker and a pathbreaker and innovator and a pioneer um, and I feel like I'm a little too close to him to be very objective in describing exactly why, so I'm not going to risk it. Um, without much further ado, Bernard Schimpelsberger. Hello fellow beings, welcome to Tapasya Loading, a safe space to attempt honest, raw and authentic conversation in homage to the ancient act of stoking a sacred fire. Mr. Mazumdar. Mr. Schimpelsberger, you hear me okay? I can hear you. We're not doing video. We're not doing video now. So let me just ask you, so are you recording or is this, are we, are we now catching up like the two of us first or? Both. Okay. Sounds good. I mean, I'm super curious how you've been. Well, you're the guest. Let's start with you though. <laughs> <laughs> All right. There's no format to this, man. It's just a conversation, yeah. and um, I'm I'm not a journalist, and uh, I'm not trying to be one. What yeah. I'm trying to do is just share some really amazing friends and colleagues and their experiences and stories I've had the chance to experience through conversations, and I want to share whatever I can with the world out there because I think people deserve to know that side. Another, yeah. a different side to the artist's life, which oftentimes doesn't get the amount of attention it deserves. So uh, there's no format here. There are no rules. We just have a conversation uh, to the best of our comfort levels and take yeah. it from there. Brilliant. Well, in that case, if there is no rules, I would like to ask you a question. Um, okay. In terms of, you know, the, your experiences with this series and the people that you've spoken to, and I've listened to a few of them, and I found them very, very touching. Cheers, brother. I appreciate it. And it's great, you know, to also talk to another artist, you know, who understands you. So I think that's one of the reasons why people do open up, because they know that the person on the other side, which is yourself, understands, you know, the pressures uh, that, that artists go through. So um, I'd be curious to hear now for you, what have been, have you had some moments, some sort of small revelations or just being reminded of certain things through the conversations that have helped you in to cope with things or to maybe focus, refocus yourself on something that was already there, but you may have forgotten it. Very much so, man. Um, 
a lot of it's still being processed. I mean, uh, in spite of the lockdown being um, opened up to certain degrees and, you know, depending on which part of the world you're in, there's still above average time to do a lot of processing on the way life's been these past few years. So, uh, yeah, the effects these conversations have had on me and what I've learned from these uh, guests and colleagues. Um, the one common strain I think I could identify immediately is how um, all of us, well, uh, um, at the risk of making a blanket statement, have really started re-examining the reasons we do what we do and the process and manner in which we do so. Mm. I think that's something that's come up in pretty much, again, I'm not really counting, really digging deep and, yeah, asking those, themselves these two questions. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I would, I would agree with that. I think it's, I mean, artists, we are lucky in a way, you know, that we, we are sort of trained to survive you know, and uh, to jump into new situations and, uh, you know, you go to another country, you don't speak the language and suddenly everything's different and uh, you make friends. You know, I mean, there is a lot of social skills that we that we acquire throughout our working life, you know. Um, of course, there's also the hermit side and the slightly autistic side <laughs> that we also have. But I think we are we are sort of well equipped to deal with the situation compared to other people, you know. Um, and uh, a lot of people do want, I mean, artists, we're doing it because we want to know what is going on inside us and we want to bring that out. So we're not afraid to ask also the question of what is going on and wh who am I and uh, and how do I relate to all of this? So so I would I would join into that. You know, it's been the same for me. It's been really, really intense time. Yeah. Yeah, I want to dig a little deeper into the aspect you referred to on how social skills and well, social and survival skills are probably um, you know skills artists might be a little more adept at than the, um, than maybe some other lines of work. Mm, it's interesting that you mentioned that because uh, in in my case personally, I think. It was overcoming my social awkwardness um, mm. and social anxiety, which led me to music in the first place. You know, music kind of yeah. made it okay for me to, it gave me something to hide my shadow side from, uh, with, sorry, my shadow side with. Um, and the social skills eventually were skills that I kind of had to learn in order to fulfill certain professional obligations. And I'm still really bad at it, like... You know, I'm, I'm the guy, I'm the wet blanket after the gig who wants to go home as soon as he can and just, I don't know. Not see anybody. <laughs> yeah, curl into bed with a book. That's my idea of a party after a gig. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> um, I would. Uh, I mean, you, you happen to know that by uh, direct experience, <laughs> as a matter of fact. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's very interesting how you refer to social skills being, uh, you know, social and survival skills again being probably i never actually thought of it from that angle you're very right and um, uh, when the covid first hit my first reaction was hmm apart from the fact that i'm i'll be st stuck in one country for a longer period of time than usual 
I didn't feel like my life had changed much. It was kind of weird. I think that I heard this from a couple of my friends, you know. Uh, they said that uh, life hasn't really changed. I'm working in the studio. I mean, there was one, just to bring some fun into this conversation, there was one funny image, like a little cartoon on um, on social media somewhere, which says uh, that uh, that nothing's changing for jazz concerts. Because, <laughs> because, you know, yeah. there's, there's, there's going to be more than five people in a room anyway. <laughs> that was hilarious. I missed that one. <laughs> but I, I know what you mean. I mean, we are also, I mean, I think it's part of those extremes that we live. Now, when you say it, maybe we could actually distinguish a little bit between the social skills and the adapt and, let's say, adaption skills, you know, to adapt. I think... I totally get what you're saying about, I think it happens again to a lot of people uh, that, I mean, we all actually find that music can say the things better than what we could do with words. Mm. And for some people, it's a choice. And for other people, it's a little bit of an escape, you know, because they are not comfortable saying it the other way. So then they they find music for to do it for them. And other people could do it, but they still prefer music, you know. So I think there is... Different people have different approaches, but uh, that is definitely true. And then the survival skill, I think, is that we are exposed to quite extreme circumstances sometimes. Yes. Uh, and and extremely quickly changing uh, circumstances mm. where something that was sort of a criteria suddenly is no longer relevant. Uh, or also the pressure of being creative which sometimes has to do with a lot of limitations and sometimes quite quite outrageous limitations, you know, like uh, it's not easy to deal with that. So that's why I think uh, artists are, you know, we are sort of, we have been, we have trained ourselves, you know, throughout the years for moments like that. True. I hear you, man. COVID apart though, I really want to dig into your musical background a little because I know you've been talked about and, a lot of prestigious um, places, uh, very well deservedly so as well. But I still feel like there are a lot of aspects to your musical journey that still haven't been talk about, talked about, I dare say. And I was kind of hoping we could go there. You game? Absolutely. So you're one of the very few Europeans who've literally studied and are part of a very direct lineage and garana of an Indian classical school of music. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. How the hell did that happen, man? Where did it start? Mm, well, it started, I think, two ingredients that are not so unusual uh, to start with. I mean, I was, I was 15, you know, and I was... Uh, really interested in jazz and I was playing jazz and I was also interested in really, I would say rather complex, you know, expressions of jazz. So I was listening to Steve Coleman, for example, oh, yeah, you know, something to, some, some listeners. So, mm -hmm. you know, I was interested in, in more complex structures. So that was a natural tendency that I see now. So more post-bop and onwards? Um, yes, of course. Yeah, totally. I mean, but also jazz. I mean, I, of course, I, I I was into you know the jazz drummers, Philly Joe Jones and Elvin Jones, and so on. Mm -hmm. um, 
And also I was, uh, I was very much into spirituality. I mean, I was considering at this time, you know, if I should become a monk. I think that also happens to maybe many people, you know, it's some, some time in their life. But I was reading a lot of books on Buddhism, you know, uh, and there was sort of a little, little bit of a crossroad, a small one, you know, where I was thinking to myself, can I do with music what I would like to do spiritually, you know, to get some sort of a peace and, and, uh, and fulfillment. Mm. And, uh, so, and so what? I was drawn into India, sorry, just to say that. So I was reading lots of books, you know, Krishnamurti, Dalai Lama, you know, so spirituality that sort of came from India. Um, if I may rewind just a bit, and this is when you were 15? Yeah, 14, 15. You uh, contemplated becoming a monk at 14? Maybe a little bit later, maybe it was 15 or 16. Wow. Some, yeah, wow. yeah. I mean, I did some really, it's actually, uh, this is a story that I haven't said, told anywhere, so I think it's suitable here. There was, so a little incident, you know, that happened. So this was before internet and YouTube, right? So one day we we um, switched on the Swiss television, mm -hmm. Swiss channel, and there was a talk show called Alfred Biolek, mm -hmm. who, who, was a, who was a very intelligent talk show master, uh, and he would bring in different people. And he brought in this this person called Pete Nuschela, who was a Swiss Swiss guy who went to India and to live as a sadhu in India. And sadhu are basically monks that live on the street and that are not allowed to have any possessions. Right. They have they just live from begging, like they live from one meal to the next. They're not allowed to even own a blanket and they, they wander around, you know, they are like the most hardcore versions of, of searchers, you can say. And Pete did this for 30 years and he had just come back to Switzerland mm -hmm. and he was on the show. And I saw the show and, and I called up uh, the Swiss television channel For real? and I asked them if I could get his number. Huh. And they did. And then that was, I was 15, I think. Yeah. And, and I called, I called him and, and he said, you know, uh, if you want to come, then you can come and spend three or four days with me. And I remember I asked my school teacher and my teacher said, yeah, you can go. And so I didn't have to go to school, you know, for those days. And I took the train and I spent three or four days with him, you know, and I asked him, about spiritual practices, and he told me it was fantastic. You know, we were somewhere near Zurich, um, so yes, I was, I guess, examining in you know in some way if this was for me. Wow, fifteen-year-old schoolboy um, who saw a documentary on a Swiss ascetic who lived as an ascetic in India goes and hangs out with him. I love it. That's okay, <laughs> yes. huh? and I'm still in touch with him, by the way. That's so awesome. And that's a yeah. really brave 15-year-old. I mean, 15, I was like trying to my, hide my porn from my parents. That's, the, that's as far as I got. Yeah, I was always very intense, you know, about what I did. I'm still very intense, you know. It's, I don't know, that's, I guess it's somehow part of your personality, you know, the way you approach things. Hmm. Maybe some people are more diverse or varied in their interests. I've, I was always, it's everything or nothing. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. Um, what happens next? Um, so then, you know, music became, I had some really beautiful moments in music, I have to say. I mean, it started earlier also when I was 11 and 12, you know, I had sort of 
some moments where we were jamming with the family and I just got into some sort of a trance, you know. But we know this when when you're in the flow, I guess, you know, we know it now mm. when you just when your mind stops for a fraction of a second. And I thought, ah, this is what meditation is, you know, and I was like, yeah, music can do that, you know, and it's a lot of fun as well. Mm. So when I was 14, 15, 16, that time I had a few more of those experiences, you know, which was really beautiful. One person I would like to mention in case if anybody wants to look him up, his name is Gerald Weasley. Mm -hmm. He's a bass player who lives in Philadelphia and he used to, he used, he used to play with the Joe Savinal syndicate wow. in the early days. And he did a workshop, you know, and, and we were lucky to participate in the workshop with him. And there was um, one moment. See, now I am actually digging into the more personal things. Please do, mm. just go ahead. We were playing a concert, um, and, and this was in the same cultural venue where I, two years later, met my Guruji. So there was, I was lucky to be part of this cultural institute, and my teacher, Helmut Schönleitner, who is a bass player, yeah. who, who used to invite international artists to come, and Kai Eckert, who you know very well. Oh, yeah. Kai was, was one of the first ones to come, and also Kai's philosophy was... So inspiring, you know, I have still all the mini discs and he talked a lot about sort of, I mean, not spirituality, but philosophical approach, you know, a sustainable, healthy approach yeah. towards music. And so Gerald Weasley was playing with us this concert. We were, heard, we were at the workshop for a few days and we played this concert. And, and then when it was my drum solo, he played this band, we played like bum, 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 bum. You know, just this. And he turned to me and and he was like, come on, you know, but in the best positive way. Wow. And he just pushed me. I mean, and I, I do have a, a video at VHS of that. You know, it's like I lost it. Like I, I just took off, you know, like I was in the flow, you know. And those were like moments that gave me so much energy and that I'm now obviously at that moment – I was like, everybody was like, oh, the young kid, you know, Bernie, yeah, 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 you know. I was like the young kid who could play and who wouldn't be afraid to play. But now, just looking back as I'm older, those were actually beautiful moments that I treasure in terms of a spiritual connection with music that I established then that in, in a way are um, made me become a musician, I think. Yeah, I can relate to that. How, how young was the young kid? At this I, point. I think that was fifth. That was before I met my guru. So I think fourteen, fifteen. I think something like that. Yeah. Sweet. I'm trying to draw a parallel here. At the round about the time you were so deeply influenced by the documentary of the Swiss ascetic, what kind of music were you listening to? I was listening to jazz. So I was listening to Joshua Redman and Brad Maildow and. Um, uh, Kenny Garrett, you know, Pat Maffini. And and then African music actually came first. So mm -hmm. I, was a I was listening to Omo Sangare, Habib Koite, Yusundur. Um, those were my, my early influences. And then uh, John McLaughlin and then Trilo Kurtu came. And that's sort of the connection then to my Guruji, you know, uh, because I, I listened to Trilo Kurtu's um, albums and I was fascinated and uh, I could sense it somehow also going, as I said, with this interest in Indian philosophy, you know, 
um, this this music, you know, and of course it's also we shouldn't forget that we are also sort of a little bit brainwashed into that. You know, I mean, if once when you when you hear a sitar. I mean, it was also different times. I mean, it's 20 years ago. Yeah, now things have changed. But that time when you heard a sitar, you know, you were thinking of India and then you were thinking of Krishna, I mean, you know, Krishnamurti or Osho or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah. so then I I started listening to, to Trilog and that in a way then got me the interest to go to my Guruji's workshop where I met Spandita Balkaji and then I I was like glued into the Indian culture i'm gonna keep rewinding though because we're gonna get into this anyway but for my listeners you also come from a family of very well-known austrian piano uh what's the right piano is merchant okay word yes 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 i mean yeah piano it it doesn't really do justice it doesn't really do justice to the actual tradition of it but your parents are the owners of one of um, austria's most well-respected piano um houses right yeah i think you could say so so you come and you ha- sorry i interrupted you no sorry go on and uh so you you're already born into a family of music uh and yet it's a tradition which is so different to what you're attracted to and so and you're still in austria you're growing up in an environment rich in its traditional music and you're, you're attracted to an equally deep tradition in a very different part of the world. Any ideas why that happened? Mm, no, I mean, because the first time I went to India, I remember, you know, my friend said to me, do you think that you've been here before? And I said, no, I think I, I haven't been here before. That was when I was 18. And I just I just remember it because I do remember that question, you know, that conversation. I love uh, that. I love yeah. that. I was I was expecting the very uh, so almost I don't know if, I don't know stereotypical uh, if that probably might a little harsh, but that's such a common thing. People are going to India saying, "Oh, I've been here before." Yours is one of the most original answers I've heard in a long time. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to lie about it, you know. No, I, I love that. I love it. Sounds that. like oh, I've been. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, I don't want to make it into, you know, something like that. Mm. It shouldn't be glorified in any way, you know, even for myself. I'm also trying, I'm grateful, you know, for you to take the time and to uh, and to, to ask, you know, these questions. And hopefully not because it's me, but because of the journey, you know, maybe some listeners absolutely, man. Absolutely. would find it interesting or can relate to it in their own way, you know. Very but much it's so. something that I want to glorify at all. Yeah, yeah no. and FYI, I, I don't mean to uh, necessarily judge or insult people who feel like they have a past connection with India. I don't, you know, my belief systems are broad and boundaries and I wasn't judging or ridiculing them either. Between uh, you being inspired by the space aesthetic and you being in India, what happened there? Before that, because there's a story before you actually went to India. Well, yeah. Fill us in. Um, well, I was, first of all, as I said, I was like a sponge. I was just trying to learn. And I was actually thinking of going to New York. Hmm. I mean, that would have been my path, you know, because as I said, I was transcribing Brian Blade. I mean, like fantastic drummers that came out of New York, out of that New York school. You know, so I thought, oh, OK, this is what what you do. You know, if you want to be a jazz musician, you got to go to New York and you got to earn your, you know, pay your dues there and so on. Huh. Uh, and and then, so, and I was really, you know, as I said, I was interested in complex things and I really wanted to know, 
like the structures. I didn't just want to learn a lick. I would I would write down somebody if a teacher showed me a lick, I would write down ten versions of the lick and ask him which one and why do you can can you change it from here? And so awesome. and 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 then so I started listening to Trilog and and then when I was fifteen um I met my Guruji, Panditvarsh Talvalkaji. And um, when he came to do the workshop uh, at this cultural institute called Aku, uh, in the in the text it was written that he is the teacher of Trilokurtu. Mm-hmm. And and I remember having these conversations of everybody saying, you know, Trilokurtu is a genius. I mean, he's like the most dangerous <laughs> Indian percussionist, you know. Dangerous. <laughs> and, and, you know, yeah, this, this is how it was perceived, you know, yeah, dangerous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's being able to play complex stuff and yeah. spin circles around your head. It says a lot about the era. It says a lot about the era and the zeitgeist. I think so, yes, yeah. because it, it did come out of this fusion thing, you know, for this jazz rock fusion yeah. idea, you know. Um, and and then I was thinking, how is it possible that Trilok Kurt is supposed to be a genius? And how can he have a teacher who is supposed to be better than him? You know, and that's when I was like, wow, this is ooh, this this. Then I was really excited, you know. Yeah. And in fact, I was on a trip with my school class. We had to go on this every year, one week, you know. Uh, we you go away once once a year for a week to do some sports things and I asked my teacher can I just bunk the whole week because I have to do this workshop and she said no not the whole week but you can leave halfway through <laughs> so I remember that I was 15 and again I took a train alone you know like I left after three days and my classmates stayed for another three days and I took the train and I and I came to do this workshop and I was one day late for the workshop, but I was still earlier than, you know, what I could have potentially missed out on. So, so that was, and then I'm, then I met my Guruji there for the first time. Wow. At 15. Yeah. That's intense, man. What were your first impressions of your Guruji? Again, it's something that I'm, I'm really trying not to glorify, you know, in a way that this is what happened. It was meant to happen. But what I do remember was that, so I came around lunchtime and this institute, there was the, the the stage where the rehearsals took place, but there was also a little bar mm-hmm. where we'd have coffee and, and tea and so on. And they were having a coffee break. And I remember that I went inside and I said hello. And I and I immediately I looked at him and he looked at me with such intensity and I I felt something. You know, it was like, oh wow. You know, I don't know. It's like it was there was something intense. You know, I cannot say it was a connection because the connection, you know, if I wasn't with him now, then nobody would have ever remembered this moment. You know, it's only because we nurture relationships that the beginnings or the things that happen along the way stay stay significant. But we, you know, I, I do remember feeling something and then I went inside to set up the drum kit and then the workshop continued. And within five minutes, he was literally in front of the drums and he was clapping and he was singing rhythms to me. So he was straight away teaching me, you know, and and he spent, you know, like immediately his energy was was on me, you could say. And I was trying to play. It was like, you know, like some really simple rhythms, I would say. And then I remember... I'll keep it a little bit more detailed than usual because we have the space here. I remember in the evening I went to say goodbye to him and it was also like a moment of I was like nervous, you know, like, should I 
say goodbye or not, you know. So it just shows that I, there's some, you know, something was intense. Mm, he was at the time, he was in his mid-50s when I met him, you know, and guru, you know, like a very authoritative, grand, you know, figure. You mm-hmm. know? Uh, and and then the next thing that was sort of um, important was on the second day, you know, we were playing in the morning. And then we had our tea break and then we were all sitting there and then Guruji said, just into the space, you know, he just said, he can come and he can stay with me for five years. I will teach him. And uh, everybody stopped, you know, and just waited. And then we didn't know who he was talking about. And then Helmut, the teacher, the the bass teacher from the conservatory, but the leader of our group, he said, who? And then Guruji said, Bernie, he can come. And we shouldn't lose any time, <laughs> you know. And that was like the bomb, you know. And my, my friends were there, and Damn. I wish they referred to this moment as the bomb, you know. Like then, at that moment, it was like a big door opened up, which we didn't know. You know, it wasn't like like now. I mean, as I said, you know, the world has become so much more connected. And I don't want to sound old, you know, like oh, when I was young. But it is true, you know. It was before YouTube. It was before that was in ninety. That was in two thousand, you know. Yeah. So that was before you would just say, I'm going to go to India for five days and play a concert. You know, it was still further away in this mo- in this time. Yeah. No, you don't sound old at all, man. And I mean, for FYI, for, for my listeners, I'm older than you quite, by quite a bit, actually. And I totally hear you. This was uh, this was way before the whole Internet era. And it came with both its cons, but also its pros. It also, you know taught you that, you know, life, you know, learning an art is a little more than a couple of tutorials online. Yeah. It's an entirely different league of commitment as well. You know, it's, you, you know, it's not going to be about logging on for a little FaceTiming. It's going to be moving to an entirely different country for a bit, which you know nothing about and just kind of dive in and hope you come out the other side without getting, you know, too many, uh, things to worry about well you know this is also something that i can share here is um, yeah, me and my very my very close friend philip sageda who is a fantastic beatboxer and singer in vienna yeah. uh if anybody wants to check him out that he's been with me you know he, his wife is is my indian sister you know the family that adopted me in india so we're a very close family and he's been very much involved in my journey and he always says to me that you know i have a great respect for you because you survived this whole journey yeah. without massive mental damage yeah yeah uh, and I mean, I mean we joke about it but yeah it is there is a there is a load that can go wrong oh fuck yeah i mean uh, with all its beauty and depth i mean india's india you know has all sides of the spectrum it's you know um, it's as ugly as it is beautiful as well. So, uh, you know, much respect for everyone who's managed to, uh, I don't want to say survive, but gone through that experience and turn it into an object of beauty the way you have. Um, I totally hear you on that. Um, I, I love the way you put that, by the way. I love the way you described that um, incident, the way your first encounter with your Guruji. I love how you uh, acknowledged the energetic aspect of it without getting too uh, melodramatic about it. And it resonates with me. And thanks a lot for trusting the space to talk about it as well. How was it? How, your first 
uh, let's would this be uh, an appropriate time to get into how India felt the first time you landed there apart from the fact that you didn't feel like you were there before yeah. well maybe just to fill in the blanks if you yes, know sir. if anybody's interested mm. in sort of the progression um, what happened so I was 15 at the time and I went when I was 18 so oh. I didn't go straight away okay and there was there was a few really cool moments and you know I mean my father didn't want to come but my mother came to meet Guruji and then Guruji told him everything that should happen you know I mean so it, it was interesting you know that there was there was like different steps before we before I actually went but two important things or I mean more more small important things in the same direction happened where for example in that very same trip my Guruji said to me okay on the fourth or fifth day because he was there for 10 days he did three different workshops like one workshop in the Aku, the cultural place, but two workshops at the university. So imagine I would go to school in the morning and then go to the university and be part of the workshop. Although I wasn't studying at the university and my Guruji was already, I would say, loving me. So he would always ask me to play all the compositions, you know, and there was these university drummers that didn't know what the hell was going on. Mm-hmm. And then there came this guy who was not even studying and who was getting all this, you know, like attention and encouragement, you know, and to the point where after a few days, my Guruji said, why are you going to school in the morning? Why are you missing out the first hour of the class? You know, you should, you should be here, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And then one day he said to me, tomorrow you can pick me up from the hotel uh, and then we will walk together to the to the place, to the Aku, and then I will give you a lesson. And, and then he gave me like a one-on-one private lesson. Um which was a really beautiful thing, you know, from his side. Uh, and what was also really beautiful was the walk. And this is something that then, which we've been doing in all these 20 years, you know, um, it's it's part of this Indian Guru Shisha tradition, yes. Guru student tradition, where spending time together and, I mean, you know, for everybody, I think your listeners are way beyond Karate Kid, you know. <laughs> but, I hope so, I hope so. Uh, so. But sometimes I do, in other interviews, you know, when I'm, in a, when I'm doing a workshop and somebody says, how, how does it feel this, to be in this tradition? Then I will say to, for example, young people, has anybody seen Karate Kid? Wash on, uh, wax on, wax off? Mm. Yeah, roughly, you know. If you, if you don't have any other reference, take this one, you know. Uh, spending time with your master and, and then we used to do that a lot you know in the in the years to come so he came back every year and I would always pick him up and we would walk and then yeah and he started to introduce me to this sort of um, philo- philosophical way of of education mm-hmm. philosophically in the sense that it's not just about the exercises but there is a, there's a deeper you know, let's say energy that goes with it, the deeper kind of trust. Mm-hmm. So he started to introduce me and and that happened before India. So when I went to India at the age of 18, I was actually thinking, hmm, I'm really curious if all of the things that I, that I have in my head are actually going to be true or whether I leave from here saying this is all bollocks and I hate it. You know, that was my question because I already knew some things and it was like the test whether I, it would resonate with me. Nice. I like I like the honesty with which you express that. Um, by the way, uh, if I, I also would like to put out there, I think the Karate Kid is a pretty decent reference. In fact, it's uh, I mean it's turned into a whole cult thing and everything. And it's it's hard these days for um, to say anything without 
I, I don't even know what the protocol on politically correct is anymore. Uh, it's a constant uh, update. I try to keep up with, but not necessarily do the best job of. But I would support you on that. I think the karate kid is a pretty decent uh, example of how the guru shishya uh, parampara, the the tradition, can work. Um, I had a question in re- with reference to that, if I may. Mm-hmm. So you remember how the the kid, the karate kid, I can't remember his name now, he'd be made to do all these uh, movements in the beginning, not fight, but do all like, you know, clean in a certain manner, yes, which yes, eventually... Yes, yes. Do you think your guru made you do similar things, like exercises which apparently didn't come across as music in, on, on, on the surface, but eventually were adding to your... DNA, your musical DNA the whole time without you necessarily realizing it? Hmm. That's a good question. To be honest, I've never examined it in that way. I would think yes. I mean, there is two levels to it. You know, there is, I think, the the technical music side, you know, where he was definitely teaching me things that I didn't need or that I didn't know what to do with at the time, you know. Mm-hmm. But also personally, um, you know, there is really a mindset about Indian music, you know, and if you agree with it or not. And also I want to put out there um, in this moment, you know, there is a big controversy also about the Guru Shisha Parampara, about sexual abuse, you know, and it's it's things where I just want to put this on the record that I'm totally behind all the students, you know, uh, to speak up. And and we will that we will support every everybody's voice, you know. Oh yeah, absolutely. To, to come yeah. forward. Yeah, I totally second you on that. Thank you for saying that. And and this is something that is possible, you know. It is possible when you are part of a system which is extremely hierarchical, yes. which puts the teacher on a big pedestal, you know. Uh, and and in a way, in my life, I am trying to keep the good parts of it. And yes. let go of the bad parts because the bad parts are also part of your ego, you know, trying to be something like that where I can now say this is bullshit, you know, nobody's better than another person. You know, I mean, we respect and we love everybody in the most hopefully honest way, but, you know, we're all the same. Ultimately, we're all the same. Yes, the, the guru is somebody who, who shows you the light to something that he can see that you cannot see and you should love him for that. Yes. But you should not love him for something else in which he may be, uh, you know, faulty, uh, which, which can happen, you know. And I think this system can cover up those things. So, just sorry, just to come back to your question is that I think my Guruji was teaching me things about the system and about the mindset that I would need if I wanted to really learn the Indian way. And now you should also know that there's many ways of learning, you know, I, you can go always deeper, you know, you don't, it's always your choice how deep you go, you know, you can have a guru and you cannot go very deep or you can have a guru and you can go extremely deep and there is everything else between those two points is possible. And I think he was giving me stuff, uh, that I may have just dismissed or because I was ready for it. I took them and in a way that deepened our relationship even more because he saw that, okay, this guy is uh, serious. Beautiful, man. We'll start off with, again, thank you for addressing the issue of the abuse that goes on uh, in the name of um, guruhood. 
it doesn't do the tradition any favors and it definitely doesn't do our world any favors. I'd actually completely forgotten about that, so much love to you for reminding me to address that issue. Thanks. Um, I personally ha happen to know, uh, you know, I, 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 I know people who actually been subject to that kind of abuse and I, the only reason I don't call the people the abusers and refer to them is I don't have the permission to talk about it, so I don't want to encroach on their boundaries. Yeah. But uh, uh, while not firsthand, I've definitely uh, been witness to it and um, uh, known it for a reality and not a myth very in a very on a very close second hand basis so i sincerely hope that well, we can make a difference you know at the risk of sounding cheesy and this is that part of the system is abolished so only the positive uh, residue is what we can work with in the future and thanks for that um so let's talk about the positive residues and how do we think what do you think are the best aspects of the guru shishya tradition that we should try and nurture and take with us into the future? I think if you find a teacher, you know, you should respect him and you should trust him. Um, of course, there in the West, you know, it, it really depends on the teacher, you know, like the teacher can also be like, oh, just check this stuff out or, you know, he can be, but more random, but in the Indian way, you know, the teacher does have a master plan for you, you know, and you, you, you're not supposed to question what you're learning in the moment of learning. And I love this. So it's like, you know, I give you an example. Somebody teaches you something to play something on your left hand and, and you go like in your head, ah, but I cannot play it that fast because my left hand is weaker and I could play it on the right. That takes you away from the vision, you know, of what the teacher is trying to teach you. So when you are learning, don't ask any questions. Just learn. Just try to imitate. And this is also very Indian, you know, to imitate what the teacher is trying to show you. So if he's saying, look, I can see that far, then you don't say, oh, but I cannot see that far because of blah, blah, blah. You just try. You go like, I think I can see it as well. I want to see it. What is it again? And then he will play it again, you know, and it becomes, it becomes more apparent. And... I, that's something that I love, you know, not, but the question, the examining has to happen, but later, yes. when you finish the class, sit down, you know, I'm not saying just leave your Western analytical mind, you know, and, and eat everything that you're being served, but there's a time for everything, you know, and, and this is something that I, I can say that I'm very lucky with my guru because, um, and I also know for the record that it's not like that with all the students. Huh? It's like some students are not able to do that, even if they're Indian, you know, because somewhere along the line, they come to a point where they disagree with something, you know, and that can make a, a division between the, the trust can, can also go, you know, which I think is also fine because we're human people, you know, uh, but I can just speak about myself again. I was just very lucky that to this day, my guru and I, we never disagreed. I mean, no, we did disagree, but, you know, I always knew that I was going to go with him. And and to this day, I mean, I can say it again here because this is a very intimate form, you know, I will be with him until his last breath. That's it. You know, it's like an unconditional thing that you know. And, and so I think 
it might be different for everybody, but if you can sort of access some sort of unconditionalness, even for the moment, you know, even if you say, I'm going to study in this course, let's say you're going to do this course at Berkeley or whatever. In a way, I'm just being extreme here, go and worship your teacher. I mean, like inspire him to teach you and give him all the trust and he will teach you much better. He will care much more for you because he's like, this this one really wants to learn, you know, he and and you know the the student in a way also has a relation has a responsibility to inspire the teacher. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Um may I share a few thoughts uh with regard to this? Please. Um I come from the other side in the sense I have a very abusive past with my teacher like my the equivalent of your guruji in a way like the the guy who really taught me to play piano yeah he was severely abusive so it's i have a bit of a knee-jerk reaction to this some of the things you said mm-hmm. even though it doesn't actually contradict what you're saying at all very much in agreement with you when you say the responsibility is on both sides i think that's the crux of them all issue that both the student and the teacher though need to take responsibility in my experience i've also known that even though my teacher knew a lot more about piano than i did at the time he didn't necessarily know more about music <clears throat> and this might be a very special case or it was a very special case because the the twisted part of it was and he was my first you know mentor at the piano I don't actually think he was my musical mentor at all. Uh that was someone else, a gentleman called Gary Barone. Um uh, trumpet player from Los Angeles who used to play with the likes of Shelly Mann and even went on tour with Zappa. He was my true mentor in the uh, genre of jazz which is f- kind of like the equivalent of what Indian classical music might have been for you. I'm mm, you know yeah. making suggestion because it was a foreign language which I made my own. I want to kind of offer a counterbalance to a listener to our listeners to to what you said which it does not but with by any uh, measure decrease its validity anyway but also to remind them yes it's very true that you need to I think what it boils down is number one before we you know to make that commitment to dive all in and really trust our teacher there's a step before find a teacher you know you can trust exactly it's very important which is not a very easy thing to do if you go to berkeley by the way because you just get allotted so i think there there is that certain bit of caution that needs to be exercised in the bigger picture as well though um, yeah, yeah i agree i mean if if i can offer like something practical you know and yeah. and i know that everybody's story is different you know but let's say if you went to let's say you went to berkeley right and mm-hmm. you get there is five piano teachers there and uh you get allotted a teacher that maybe is not right for you but there's another one that you really wanted to learn yeah there is no way of stopping you to go Wait. to the other guy and say you know what can i just sit in your class exactly exactly can i just hang out exactly. are you playing anywhere you yes. know i made this tape uh, would you mind listening to it yeah and, devotion and find, dedication yeah find your match yeah i hear you i think well, i i hear you totally brother i mean i'm just trying to figure out a way to uh you know express ourselves commonly in a way that would you know make 
the whole energy affair all more clear to the uh, listeners. I think what, what we're trying to say together is you got to commit. You can't just, you know, expect your teacher to do the work for you all the time while you, you know, it's, it's not a it's not a consumer mentality you can work with. You need to bring your shit to the table and give all you got to your teacher so he can take it and make the best out of it. Would you agree with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I would. What do you think? I mean, your Guruji clearly picked you out. There were so many students he was working with from the very earliest stages. Have you ever stopped to think about why it was you? Um, well, first of all, I have seen him over the years also offering, you know, um, a place in his world, so to speak, to other people who were very talented, you know. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there is a young drummer that I'd like to mention. His name is Tilman Schofeld. And uh, I met him two years ago uh, at the orchestral project that I did. And uh, he's 23 and he started learning with me and then met Guruji. And he's now a student of my Guruji. So it's really nice to see there's a new generation. He's actually one of the very few ones, you know, who, who did that step, who got the offer in a way, and said, yes, I'm going to do it. So let's speak to Tillman, you know, in five years uh, or ten years uh, and see his experience. It will be fascinating to hear wow. the next generation. Um, so you'll be guru guys. Uh, yes, yes. We are, we, we, yes, I mean, and he started, he was there, I think, for five months now already, and uh, he's he's got the bug, put it that way. You know, he's really got the bug. He's, like, committed on his journey. Uh and that's beautiful. And he's the next generation. And I look forward to, you know, what he will do and how he will perceive the opportunities in a way that are given to him. And he's also, he's very hardworking, very smart, uh, you know. Um, so, so that's cool. But my point was, there was other people at the time as well, not in that first moment, but in the next couple of years, you know, and and some of them went and went only once and came back or some of them didn't go because they had to play some gigs or whatever, you know. So I think the reason why my Guruji liked me was because I was very open. I was eager to learn. I was really like a sponge. And I think I had a natural inclination towards complex structures in this moment. So when he was t- teaching me rhythms, I think I was quick, you know, to, to play them. Um, and I, I don't know if, I mean, I don't know how much we, we connected, but I I can say now, you know, that over all these years that it's really, it's a beautiful match and, and the way how I I love him, you know, it's, it's so really, it's so unconditional, but I also know that I have a place in his heart, you know, some, somewhere he has a place for many students, you know, he has so many students. So I don't want to say I'm the one, but it's like there is some sort of a frequency matched somewhere. And again, I'm I'm trying not to make this melodramatic and, yeah, and glorified. Yeah. But I hear you. You speak my language. I hear you. And uh, I believe you. And, and I think that was a pretty decent way of putting it. It's, it's hard to explain these things. You know, love isn't explicable. But... Um, and that's that's what makes it love. If it was something you could explain, then you know I'd be very skeptical of it being love in the first place. So yeah, I think that makes sense. And it's something that you have to work. You know, a relationship is like you have to work on it all very the time, true. and very true. and it changes. And uh, just speaking about the relationship with my guruji, you know, we've gone through many stages. And just imagine, so this time when you are 
at the beginning of your learning phase and the phase where I'm now, where, you know, I have had a musical professional life for 14 years, you know, 14, 15 years, or, you know, it's like uh, you grow, you change like crazy, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and there is a few points where things can break. It's mm. like moving out of the house, you know, it's like when you leave the house and when you have, because guru fa- figure is a bit like a father figure, you know. Oh, yeah, that, that's what the Indian scriptures say, by the way, that your true parents are actually your gurus, your teachers are... Uh, are definitely you know, at the very bare minimum to be given the same level of respect as your parents. I mean, just FYI, I'm I'm a little skeptic about the whole family worship thing, uh, the in India, anyways. Yeah. But I also feel the way it's been interpreted, a lot of these scriptures was also didn't come from a space of authenticity. It came from a space of exploitation. So I still think there is truth in there, uh, regardless of what our relationships with our families are. Um, sorry, man, I keep interrupting you. I'm so sorry. It's super, man. I, I, I love the interruptions. Keep them going. Please. Okay, okay. You careful what you sign up for. Yeah, I think it's it's about, you know, it's mm, if I come back to the, you know, the the abuse system, for example, the, the potential for abuse, yeah, um, it is the wrongdoing. It is the downfalls of the people. It's not the system necessarily. The, the system might present opportunities, you know, and imbalances. But I still believe that the system is beautiful, you know, um, but the system has to be adapted also. And uh, like I had some moments with my Guruji where I said something that was out of place, maybe, you know, within the tradition. But it had to come out because I was an Austrian guy, you know, and I didn't think about it. And he he accepted it because he knew all the other things were working for him, you know. Um, so I guess we have shaped the re- you have to also shape the re- your relationships, you know, you have to work on them and you have to accept the change that happened. You have to accept, this is quite, for me, an important topic in life, you know, you have to accept when things die. I mean, mm-hmm. die, you know, the things that you move out of and they will always be part of your story and they will always be part of your your, your backpack, you know, that you carry around with you. But you have to leave some things. Sometimes you have to, you have to move out of the house when you are 18 or whatever. You say, "I'm going to study in this other city," and your parents and you, and your father will not be happy. And you have to do it. And then you come back, but you come back with a proposition. You come back with something with respect, hopefully, you know, yeah. and saying, "Look, this is what I'm doing. I'm trying my best, and this is what I'm offering to you. Uh, and I and I still respect you, and I still love you, and." I will keep coming back, you know, but I will will keep going as well, Mm. you know, and that's how I think how you change and relationships are like that for me. You have to constantly change them and sort of update them to because otherwise you cannot grow. And it's, you know, things I always say this in discussions with my wife, Leila, you know, things that were great 10 years ago felt okay five years ago and are actually depressing now. Oh, yeah. So you gotta That's a stop one, doing. Man. Did you come up with that yourself? Mm, right now. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> Good one. I'm gonna remember that one. Uh, yeah, that really resonates. Keep going. So you know, in a way, you have to stop doing what doesn't work anymore. It sounds really simple, but I know, you right? know, uh, you have got to face it. Sounds so much simpler than an actual practice. 
and there I'm coming in a way, you know, to some uh, cheesy conclusion of, of all this, you know, reminiscing and, and thinking and contemplating, being happy, you know, being happy in life, being happy with who you are, being happy with, with what you do. It's not so easy, you know, because happiness is not a state, uh, sorry, it's not a, a, a place that you arrive in and that's it. It's a state, but the state needs constant, it's like, you know, if we don't wash ourselves physically, we're going to get ill and we have to wash ourselves mentally. We have to wash ourselves spiritually or every day in some way, you know, and ask ourselves the question, is this still working for me? If yes, why? And if not, why not? And, and, and hopefully come to a balance, uh, which makes you happy at the end of the day. For me, that's the, that's the goal of all, of all these reflections, basically. Yeah, that resonates with me. I mean, uh, a lot of that could be uh, coming out of my, uh, could be words out of my mouth, especially the part about the daily hygiene. I remember a wise man once said, you know, this conversation with a, a disciple wherein the disciple says, you know, yeah, wh- why do I have to meditate every day? I mean, meditation could be, you know, different practices with different people. In our case, it's, I mean, putting in the work into the music is definitely a form of meditation. And so uh, the disciple asked, why do I have to keep doing it every day? I mean, it's the same exercise I did yesterday, so why do it today? And that's like saying, you know, why do you have to take a shower today? It's the same shower you took yesterday, Mm -hmm. but, you know, why are you showering? It It is the same shower. We go in, you know, it's the same thing. But I think sadhana or like meditation for our non-Indian listeners, sadhana is like like a... uh, like a practice, some some sort of a meditative practice with long-term goals. It's something, it, it, it can be repetitive, but it's not in a way, because, you know, the overall sum of re, re, that repetition is a different game. I didn't say that very well. That didn't come out right. No, it's, it came out very well. Did you just come up with it? Um, yes and no. I mean, uh, I... I wouldn't want to claim ownership of it. It's it's a pretty common thread of thought, really. I think it also relates, you know, to to music. If any listeners out there are, are creative musicians, you know, or, or like cooking, you know, I mean, we cannot change the ingredients every day. You know, we will still use tomatoes and 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 oil and and onions and and we make different versions of of them. Different, com- we are creative. You know, yeah. putting them together. Yeah. And yeah. with music, it's the same thing. You know, people say you got to find your own voice or uh, on the one, but you got to keep changing. I mean, there is, you know, good when one. you eat when you eat food, you know if it feels fresh. Yeah, and good one. If it feels fresh, it depends on where you are in your life. You know, what you've been looking for, what you've been craving. If you had a lot of time to prepare it, you know, all it, it's big. I guess coming back to the spiritual element of it, you know, it's it's a journey. It's the journey of doing it. Yeah. It's the journey of cooking. It's the journey of making an album. It's yeah. the journey of. I'm so glad you said it, and I was trying so trying so hard not to get into that. But it's true. The, the fact, you know, you know the old saying, it's it's not a destination. It's it's the journey, and it's. It's hard not to say it because it's just so fucking true. It is true. The, that journey and being in that moment and trying your best to be 
an authentic traveler is the destination. And uh, you don't reach it every day. Some, some, at least I don't. I mean, some days I'm like nowhere close to that destination. But I console myself saying, okay, you know, hopefully another day in the journey. Um, speaking of journeys, where were we? Have you turned 18 already in the story? Yeah. So, I was 18 and I went to India for the first time. I think that's where we were. All right, man. This is good. Let's, let's go. take us through. What happens? Um, well, we went to India to play concerts, in fact, with the group of my teacher, Helmut, and we had um, a group with Kathak dancers um, and, and jazz musicians. For the very first and visit? For the very first visit, yes. Wow. And it was three weeks of touring. Again, you know, India, we took 24-hour bus ride from, we had our own bus, you know, the, the group. Shit. We had all the, all the PA with us. I mean, it was like... Damn, I'm getting touring. goosebumps listening to this right now. <laughs> well, just imagine bus ride from Pune to Nagpur. Oh god! Uh, yeah, I, Nagpur, I, will, I don't think I have the muscle hours. for it. Any, I don't have the muscle for it anymore. You, you got me there, bro. <laughs> yeah. So it was a great experience. You know, we played concerts, and it was a great experience in terms of seeing the culture. And that was for three weeks, and then I stayed another six weeks with my Guruji, and that's where was like the test. Okay, now will I like this? And and he took me everywhere. You know, I traveled with him everywhere, and I remember. Like some moments we went to this little village called, no, town called Kolapur, hmm. which is a very, which was very traditional. At least the setting and the students are very traditional. And every night we were invited for dinners and, and I would be with him for like six hours and I didn't understand any Marathi, but I would just sit there with him. And of course there was great hospitality, but philosophical discussions, I didn't understand anything. And, and I was thinking, yeah, that's all right. You know, I'm still happy to be here. I still love to be in the presence and I love this culture. I love these people, the the warmth, you know, and the respect that they have. And, and ultimately, you know, everything going towards next day again, workshop, eight hours, you know, and uh, teaching and, and music. And, and then I came back, I did my social service which is something that you have to do in Austria. You have to go to the army or you have to do social service right. for a year. Right. I did that. And then I went to India for eight months when I was 20 or 19, something like that. And that's when when I became more Indian than the Indians, you know, and I did really full, you know, I did, yeah, I really I took in a lot of the Indian culture, uh, and and then I'm just cutting it a bit short. And then I came back and my mother just inscribed me at the university entrance exams of the jazz department. You know, she just put my name there without telling me huh. because in and, Linz. And this was in Linz, Australia. yes, oh, okay. exactly. And, and I really didn't want to study in Europe. You know, I just wanted to go back to India. Uh, but she said, just go to the exam and see what happens. And I did. And and I got in. Um, but that's then was the time when you know I started studying in Austria, but I wasn't really sure what I was how I would do it. And there was some time there when it's actually interesting. I after like three months in Austria, you know, I was like, this is not working for me. What am I doing? I you know uh, I don't want to do this. Plus, I think also to be totally honest, I was maybe a little bit arrogant. I was like, oh, you know, I've got access you know, to the greatest rhythms in India. I'm part of this school of this Karana. And why do I have to now do some jazz classes? You know, I can play all these complicated rhythms, which is, again, bollocks, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, mm -hmm. But 
it, it was part of the learning. And then I came to London, uh, visit my friends here. And while you were still I, at uni. Yes, I was just three months into the uni. Okay. And I went and I was thinking like, okay, maybe I will come to London because I always loved London. Mm. Welcome to London to, to study here at some of the universities. So I went to some of the universities and I went inside and I checked out some classes and it was great. But I thought this is pretty much the same than what is happening in Austria. You know, you same kind of classes. And I was staying with Ashwini Kalseka, who is a Kathak dancer, a very good friend of mine, mm -hmm. who was part of this original tour. So wow. part of the Shamabate, who is a Kathak guru, you know, a student of her. So like my circuit in India. Mm. And we would watch every day. We would watch all these VCDs, it was called, you know, like the like DVD kind of things of these shows that they were doing in India and and tabla solos. And, and I remember I had this moment in London where I was like, great, I know what to do. I will not come to London. I will go back to Austria. I will just finish my studies there, like on the low burner, on the low simmer. I'll do all the classes, but I will just uh, just do the, the exams. And I will try to earn some money and go to India every year as much as I could. And then I went two times a year for the next four years or maybe more, sometimes three times a year. If some, I got, also got started getting called for concerts. It was also shorter trips. But I basically said, I'm going to focus on India, but... Just to balance it out, I'm going to do my university studies. And it was useful, you know, to uh, to do all the studies. You know, it gave me a balance. I guess it did inform the way how I look at, at music now and also the fact that I don't want to just look at it through my Indian training. I do try to have a universal perspective and say sometimes also, hold on, guys, in India, uh, you are fantastic, but you're not the best because nobody's the best. The Cubans say they're the best. You know, the Brazilians say they are the best. The Indians say they're the best. But guys, none of you is the best. You know, everybody is the best. You know, everybody's got something. So why don't we start to appreciate, you know, what what what's out there? Yeah. Uh, well, well, we could do an entire episode on that one. So I'm going to dodge it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I'm gonna stick to because uh, I, I want to focus on the your specific personal journey because yeah, yeah, I'm not I'm not going there right now. <laughs> but, but you know uh, what I mean. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I hear you. And I hear in you. a way, that's mm. that is an important element for me that I am trying to put the mirror up. Sometimes I'm not saying that I can do it. You know, I'm trying. I'm not saying that I don't have my own stereotypes that I fall into. You know, my own prejudices. But my aim is, you know, to put them here up sometimes and say, you know, you cannot really say this other music is crap if you haven't studied any of it. You know, yeah. if once you study, you can have an opinion, you know, but don't say it like that. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Um, this is probably where we notice that I'm older than you because, you know, when I meet people who say other music is crap, I just leave, I just exit, I, you know. I've gotten tired of carrying that mirror around. I use it only to get my own shit in order. But yeah. um, actually, I don't know if I attribute it to age. I don't think I have that kind of muscle as well. It takes a certain type to kind of just go out there and uh, take that mission on, for lack of a better word, mission. I, I, I actually, you know, in hindsight, now that I think of it, I've never had had the skills or the muscle to do that i just exit it's a smart thing to do 
Um, I don't know, man. I don't know. I think it's I think it's a it's really an archetypal thing. Uh, I think some people are kind of built and born to, you know, that is their path in life to kind of hold that mirror up for others as well. While others will just, you know, go more into their, you know, the introverted, extroverted thing. Yeah. That would genuinely be like, uh, worth another entire episode. So you finished your uh, university degree in Austria and then you decide to move to London. Yeah, that's right. That's right, yeah. Usually I'll start off the podcast with a reminiscence of how I met my guest. And in our case, we met on a car ride to Leicester, to one of your gigs. But there's a history before that, which is relevant to what you just said, uh, with the comparative experiences between Austria and London. So with your permission, I'd like to get into it for a minute, if that's okay. Go for it. All right, right. You can read out the emails that we sent to each other. <laughs> um, that might be a little too much to handle for some of the audiences. But um, <clears throat> so at a time, um, a few years back, quite, quite a few years back, actually, I, I was in a relationship with someone in, in North Yorkshire. So I'd be traveling quite a bit between UK and Germany. And uh, at the time, this was, again, this was, you know, it, it was internet, but it wasn't that intense. So there's a lot of literature I'd really miss reading up on in Germany. So I'd be buying all the magazines on my way back from the UK. And Songlines was one of the magazines I'd love reading. And they would sometimes give, give us sample CDs, right? And usually it, it will be a pretty regular world music kind of a bill. This one song that I heard, it all of a sudden, it was a very, it was, uh, again, now it's my turn to kind of come up with the disclaimer of, no, I don't want to sound too melodramatic, but it genuinely felt like some strange out-of-body kind of experience because... Um, That's intense. That's nice to hear. Yeah, I mean, in the sense, I think it was just a lot of old tape uh, in my head. See, so I grew up listening to a lot of jazz, so the jazz vocabulary and a lot of Indian classical music too, because my family. And I, um, all of a sudden, it's like the, my whole life I was listening in mono, like the whole uh, jazz part of it was panned left and the uh, Indian classical part of it was panned right. I'm not, I don't know if I'm describing this well. It's like I was using a pair of defunct headphones and all of a sudden the headphones started working. Both of them were playing at the same time and it sounded really good together. That's the experience I had. So two worlds I'd been living between and felt torn between two in a lot of times, especially when it came to music. Uh, all of a sudden they came together, you know, sorrowed. And uh, at the time, this was the record I'm referring to was um, Circle of Sound and... Uh, also, Shomik's playing is also very close to my heart because it also resonates with a lot of Bengal. Mm. It's not just the yeah, road. You yeah. can hear a Bengali tradition in it. And my ancestry is Bengali as well. And your drumming uh, also, there's the Indian classical vocabulary in there. But it also has not just jazz, but also the European jazz vocabulary. So all of a sudden, it was like both my homes were coming together. It was like a very boom experience. And it blew my mind. So, do you remember the name of the track? Was it Calcutta Triangle or was it? It was. Da, 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 oh, it's oh, footprints. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Ah, cool. Yeah, that's, that's nice the... to hear because that's like a, 
it's like the main dish, you know, of the album as well. It's not a side dish track. It's like yeah. the gist of what we wanted to do. So that's nice. I'm glad to hear that. It sounded like it sounded like a main dish. It was it was not a snack at all, and I loved it. It was the main course, man. Uh, nice and so I did kind of, uh, even though I was nowhere as young as 15, I did the equivalent of what you did with the Swiss ascetic. I started looking these guys up. Who the fuck are these guys? You know, uh, how, how did they know the story of my life? And so I stalked about a few. I found out, I, I found Shomik. I think Shomik and I were uh, Facebook friends already. This is when Facebook was still a thing. <laughs> um okay through some London connections, and then I stalked you and found you, uh, or maybe we were friends too, I can't remember. Uh, but yeah, then I, I got into stalking the both of you heavily. And uh, I think stalking is the wrong word. I think you just reached out to us from one musician to another musician. Yeah, yeah, sh- sure, sure. I was just fooling around there with terminology. And, uh, and then I did reach out. Uh, the next time I was in London, I said, dude, here I am. Now, actually, we'd be, I think we might have corresponded a few times on Facebook. Uh, oh, yeah, I remember now. This is a funny story. I got this amazing review for all my gigs in Germany, <laughs> and, uh, uh, which was in German, which said, uh, it was at some mini festival I played, and it said um, the festival had great vibes except for this one Slot no. where, where Teal Mazumdar got really melancholic with his set, <laughs> and and I posted that on Facebook. And since it was in German, you were the only guy who got the joke, who got the humor, and the whole affair. And you were the only guy who said, "Yeah, Wenigstens was anders," which is the uh, German for yeah, at least something different. And we had a good laugh. And I remember that yeah. was our uh, first uh, like on- official online. <laughs> no news is bad news, you know. How it is. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, um, and then at some point, uh, the next time I was in London, I said, "Hey, would love to hang." And you were uh, amazingly open enough to just take me on your next gig, and uh, so we met up at your place. Mm. I, uh, it was nice. I remember because um, you came. I mean, I, you basically jumped in the car with me, and we drove to Leicester. Yeah. Where I played the evening and uh, and we had a we catch up and that's nice you know it's something I love about being a musician just just come you know let's go yeah but but you know people don't do that these days anymore you were like super yeah yeah fuck yeah let's do this and not just that we didn't just drive to and back from your gig and I we we hung the whole night like I, I yes yeah, I, I spent the night at your place uh, um, that came out wrong well it was so late when we got back you remember. Well, I mean, yeah. it was it was a hard gig to play because it was all set. It was the solo setup and setting up everything, yeah. tearing it down, driving. It was a, like it was like it was a bit of a reality check. Reality check, I think, for you as well. You were like, okay, this is how you do gigs in the UK. <laughs> no, no, I gotta contradict you on that because Germany's as bad. So it was actually uh, that was cool. I was very familiar with that part. We do pretty long distances in Germany as well. Yeah, driving uh, is long. In fact, I was. Um, it felt good because usually when I'd go to London, it would always be visiting family and most of my family are uh, British Asian and, you know, they live in their communities. And it was really great to go to London and actually do what I actually do with my life, which is hang out and take, you know, drives and, you know, do the whole uh, road trip thing, which I'd never actually done in London. I'd always do it in Germany or even in India sometimes when I'd be on tour. But it was nice to kind of get a feel for that with you. Like uh, my lives have been 
so oblivious to each other, depending on which location I've been uh, for the largest part of my life. So it was actually cool. And then um, I, I mentioned all of this because coming back to what you were talking about and uh, how you decided to do the degree in, uh, in Linz, I think it paid off, man. I think it gave you a certain voice on the drum kit that can only be Bernard Schimpelsberger. My two pence. Oh, thank you. Because I heard it immediately. I was like, we've talked about this, and again, without being harsh to anyone, the whole fusion uh, genre, especially when it comes to Western and Indian stylistics, mm -hmm. has been, well, let's just say it's not my favorite genre, and yet this was the first one. It didn't even sound like fusion. It just sounded like music. It just sounded like two musicians interacting at a very authentic level, just, you know, talking not talking, playing, communicating. And it was like, yeah, this is what was supposed to be the idea from the very beginning. And I think your familiarity and the dexterity with which you use both languages and the vocabularies really paid off, man. Well, thank you very much. It was a good time, you know, and uh, Shomik and I, we were very passionate about, about what we wanted to do, you know, in terms of bringing these different ideas together and we were also young, you know, which is which is not a criticism, <laughs> no, no. but it it was it was good and 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 I in fact I mean you know there is like when you when you make music right you always hope that it will stand the test of time but mm -hmm. the test of time first of all is your own test of time like will I be able to listen to this in two years without thinking oh my god this is cringeworthy you know um, and you know for me it's like it's never a full album, but it's sometimes it's like one or two tracks on an album where I think like, yes, here is where we got it. And the other stuff is like the snacks, as you say, you know, yeah. you, you mix it, you're trying stuff and uh, yeah, the format or for whatever reason, the balance is, is not uh, there uh, to stand the test of time. And, and, and I think for example, with footprints, I, I, I can still listen to it from my perspective. And yes, of course that the mixing I can disagree with, but I can listen to the ideas and I can go like, yeah, yeah, that was nice. You know, two people having a conversation. Yeah. Um, sure. I mean, there's always that subjective whole thing about, I mean, I, 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 I still will cringe at 85% of most of the music I've done in my past or 10 years back. So, you know, I, I can, I mean, hard relate to that. Um, but if I may, from an audience perspective, so I think, you know, you definitely kind of, like that uh, era of both of your work, like Circle of Sound, it, it kind of made history. I think it's the first time that happened, in my humble opinion. Take us back to the journey again. So you moved to London from uh, after doing uni. How were your first experiences there? What happened? Um, it was fantastic. Uh, I loved London. I mean, you know, I was... 24 i think yeah and i i would go out every night and uh you know it's like i have also some really funny stories you know of how i would just uh play with everybody go out every day with my cajon and uh, every you know just trying to make a connection you know like a flower that's trying to develop the roots you know to take take hold somewhere and um and I was fully dedicated to get into the Indian scene, which is what I did, you know, and 
I was very lucky. Within the first year, in fact, I I worked with Nitin Sone, I worked with Sushila Raman, and with Akram Khan, and with Talvin Singh. Yeah. So all of that I, in the first year. All of them in so the first. So that's like the who's who of the whole British Asian scene. Well, the person that came later was was Anushka Shankar, but she didn't live in London. Oh, I didn't know that she lived in London. I think she didn't. So, she, yeah, but it was like that. It was really cool. You know, I, I sent an email to Nitin with, I mean, in fact, I, I recorded my bachelor's concert at university. That was, again, that was at the beginning of YouTube, you know, uh, just with a camera. Like, I just gave a camera to a friend of mine and he was just, and it's still out there on YouTube, you know. Um, he was, there was no production. It was just one camera, you know, it was like really the early days of YouTube. And and then I put that, that, that became my business card. And like from a bachelor's concert, I I invited my Guruji student, one of my close guru guys, you know, uh, to because he was in Frankfurt. And then we played, in fact, we played some of my Guruji's compositions. So we made a pretty hardcore Indian tabla drum duet. Um you know, and that became my business card. And that's what I, for example, I sent an email to Nitin and within 10 minutes he wrote back. Uh, and uh, RF, RF Dervish, you know, became my close friend. He he brought me to Sushila and then, then Nitin mentioned me to Akram Khan. So, and Talvin as well. And yeah, so. Shout out to RF, by the way. Love you, brother. Uh, totally. Legend. Yeah. RF is legend. Yeah, I love that guy, man. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I I did a lot of that work. You know, I was, as I said, very quickly, and it was great. That sort of led me to Circle of Sound because I wanted to do my own project, you know, on the side. I wanted to explore rather than, you know, being a sideman. And, and then now I'm just jumping a bit, you know, quicker. And then I also stopped doing the sideman gigs and I just focused on my own music, you know. Uh, that, that was also a big decision. Yeah. For me, a very, that took about five, six years ago, I think, and was a drastic one because I, I turned down um, some, you know, very lucrative things. Nice. Uh, and it sort of haunted me for maybe two years where I was like, oh, my God, yeah, you know, um, you this, could be this out is the there. Phase of, sorry, bro, sorry, I, sorry yes. there's a slight latency, which I keep interrupting with as a result. So please forgive me. But this is exactly the phase of your work I want to use to address our next issue, if I may. Which is the anatomy of an artist in this day and age. And I think that has a lot to do with the way you've shaped your career in these past few years. Could you tell us more about that? What it is, I mean, you were working with really accomplished artists here. And a lot of people would have been happy just doing that. Obviously, you had something else which was calling you from within. What was it that you knew you had to do more or what was that calling? Had you know that, okay, you know, my calling as an artist, the role I want to fulfill in this world as an artist is another direction. What is that direction? I think it's the, you know, the focus, the determination that I had. I mean, uh, by the way, you know, I've seen it in other parts of my life. Like when I got married, mm-hmm. uh, it was like, let's get married. You know, it was, Sweet. you know, I, I just saw it happening again. It's like, you either do it or you don't do it. You I know, love I mean, that. I love so that. I guess that's how I turned towards India also, you know, in that moment, like full in. And uh, with my decision to, to focus on my own music, of course, it was great, you know, and I was very busy and I was, I guess, also respect. I was, my ego was getting uh, pampered, you know, of being flying off 
from Malaysia to Australia, and then the next day be flying back to Europe because I had to jump on that. But again, now I look at it, it's like the ego, you know, the ego is happy with that. Um, Yeah, that's that's the bitter irony of the life of a musician sometimes. Some of the most ego-massaging gigs you play are not necessarily, well, in my case, anyway, not necessarily your most memorable gigs. You know, some of my most memorable travel memories experiences are actually from gigs where I can't even remember the gigs that much. My most yeah. memorable gigs, on the other hand, you know, I don't want to think about the travel <laughs> that it took to get there. Most of yeah. it was very, very painful. Again, I interrupted you. Sorry, man. Keep going. No worries. Um, yeah, so, you know, I had this, I I sort of said yes to a project uh, which would have taken four years, you know. I mean, there was a bit of a misunderstanding, actually. You know, it was like I thought that I would be sort of the composer, but it turned out then then all these other musicians were going to be brought in and I was like, you know, one of a six-piece band. And it just hit me like, if you say yes to this, you're going to be doing this for the next four years because this is how long this project will run. And you will be so comfortable, you're going to do it for the next 10 years and you'll never get out of it. You know, it was like a really intense moment for me. And then I don't know if it's the pragmatic side in me, you know, which I like, which said to myself, you studied, you did all this hard work. You know, I mean, I, I left out also now in this that I spent a few few years with Trilla Courtou. And I became his disciple and I became his drum technician. I was traveling around with him, you know, and I was going, I would say I was going to the fire, you know, with my Guruji, the intensity, also with Trilog, you know, I was, I was in it for, you know, the heat. And then I thought to myself, and then you're doing a role that anybody else could do who can play cajon or kit, you know, and I felt like I was going to waste my life. But this sounds really hard, you know, because of course the artists that I'm talking about, they are fantastic artists, you know, it's just that. They're, they're fantastic artists. The techies are just techies. Uh, so yes, sorry, but I, I'm I'm also talking about the band musicians, you know. That oh, okay. Gotcha. Also, okay, you know, sorry, sorry, gotcha. it, it's of course it would have been great, you know, but yeah. it just in that moment it hit me that all this time I could be challenging myself, you know, and I mean that's again another aspect. Like I want to challenge myself. Like I I always want to do stuff that I don't know how to do. You know, like, let's say when I wrote this, my first orchestral commission, you know, when they said, would you write it? I said, yeah, yeah, sure. And when I put the phone down, I, I had no idea. I mean, yes, I had written for cello or something, but, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, you know, you have to do some study. <laughs> um, but I, I could never dare to say no, because wow. it's like there's, there's an opportunity in front of you. Or I have to think about it. No, <laughs> it's like it's a, when there's an opportunity in front of me, you it, that's, I guess, how I work, you know, for the better or worse. I don't know. you got to take it. you got to say yes. And then I was thinking, you know, all these moments that I will not have challenging myself. And again, I can say that I would have learned other things, of course. Yeah, great also. But I, I was like, you know what? Time, life is too short. You just got to do, really, you just got to challenge yourself. You just got to do the things that you cannot do. And if you fail then fail, but really fail, you know, like properly, like, I mean, and now also I look at this is a totally ego concept of failing and success, you know, but it was this big moment. And then for me, it was a bit of a traumatic thing because I had to call up the the artist. I will not take his name, you know, 
uh, and I had to tell him, you know, what? I'm not doing this anymore. And he, he was not happy. It was in a way the breach of our friendship. Now we are again friends, but the trust, I think, was definitely broken in that moment. And it was a dark time for me a little bit, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'd, why? And then the trust in myself, you know, I mean, the doubts come, you know, at the same time when I tell you that you, I know that it has to be done. I mean, I guess maybe you can, this is a very basic example, but I'm just saying it because maybe some people can relate to it. When you're in a relationship that is not working and you know that you have to break up with the person or not you, but you guys have to break up, you know, when that moment comes, you have to do it and it sucks. And at the same time, you will go back and think to yourself, why did I do it? There were so many good things about it. Did I really, did I just fuck up the rest of my life? <laughs> you know, sure. but deep down, you know that you had to do it, you know, and it, it, it was this kind of moment and, and everything that I'm doing now is, it came from this moment also, and I'm extremely happy about it. I'm really happy about it. And the, the, the dark times sometimes when you ask yourself, or, you know, when you think like, as I said before, you know, you could be on a big stage in Sydney Opera House right now. The ego is telling you, oh, why are you not there? But then the reason, reason in me says, yeah, but uh, you wouldn't be playing what you really want to play. And it's better to play in front of 75 people in Leicester. I mean, 75 people in times of COVID is still a paradise. <laughs> uh, it's like a, you know, it's not a realistic scenario also. But, um, you know, you, yeah, there is some voices going on in your head, which, and that's part of your journey too. That's my point. It's part of you growing. So if I may ask, uh, since we're talking about this, what are your personal approaches to dealing with those voices? Um, I think that there is a sort of a German side in me, although I'm Austrian, but a, a pragmatic side, a logic side, which I like because I am very emotional also, but mm -hmm. you know, the, it's like sometimes, um, I do like the logic side, which says, you know what, don't throw it away. It makes a lot of sense, you know, or the lot, or maybe I'm trying to to give it to the logical voice. And maybe it's not even the logical voice that's talking about It's like, you got something in your hand, work with it. Why would you change it? You know, why would you throw it away? Why would you start? You know what I mean? Like you've got cards in your hand. The pragmatic thing is to deal them and to acknowledge them and to stay, you know? And so I, this, this voice sort of comes through, but at the same time, of course, the emotional one comes through, which, which is like, how do you feel about, about doing what you're doing, you know? So I'm trying to, to go with that also, something that feels like, you know, emotionally, like this is, this so, is the right so thing like to do. So like stoicism? What does that, I don't know, what does it mean? Uh, stoicism is wherein, you know, you acknowledge your emotions, but kind of uh, stick to a more uh, where you don't let your emotions... Well, it's like a philosophy kind of thing where, oh, I just realized that uh, I, I'm, I'm probably not an authority on explaining stoicism, but my limited understanding of it is uh, uh, an approach where you're not enabling these voices too much and re um, relying more on what you have in hand to work with, you know, keeping, mm. you know, staying as sober as possible and just working with what you have at hand 
Yeah. Well, I would hope that I'm not too much on this side. You know, I, I mean, I, I, I do like to, to have the emotional, you know, I mean, the feelings got to be right. Put it mm-hmm. that way. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I give you another example, you know, uh, when people are very unhappy with their lives, you know, but they have very good things happening in their lives also, but they're unable to see it. So and true. I think this, this is how I like to use the logical voice to say, look what you've got. You have to look at the, what you've got. You cannot just deny what doesn't work for you. Uh, what, you know, like just focus on what doesn't work for you and you cannot just deny that. Oh, and true. maybe it's just my way of uh, sort of justifying, you know, the, the logic in it. But no, that, that resonates with me. I mean, there is a whole school of thought, you know, the whole LOA, law of attraction thing, focusing on positives, which, you know, results in expansion of the same. And again, uh, a whole different uh, theme, and I don't want to go on a complete tangent. But uh, at the crux of it, yeah, that makes sense. So many fears, I mean, at the end of the day, I think happiness or, you know, feelings of expansion are a decision too. You know, it has to start with a decision from within. So it resonates with me. Anyway. And I think, you know, when we, if we come back to happiness, it's like it's the acceptance of what you've got, you know. And, of course, maybe the ambition or, you know, the, the enthusiasm to go to new places and to make it even better, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, uh, it's like, uh, for me, a lot of depression or sadness, frustration in people comes from when they're not able to accept what they've got. You know, they, are, they, 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 they wish to be in another place. They wish to be with another person. Um, okay, that's great. Then do it. But if you don't do it, accept what you've got and love it. Yeah, that, that, that skill set uh, and the amount of work that's required to acquire and uh, maintain them is underestimated. Yeah. So much respect to you for uh, getting that done. Um, why would you, uh, how would you say, not why, how would you say your journey to that has been the way it is? How did you develop that skill set? Any, any pointers or suggestions for us listeners? Mm, I think for me is when I have observed so many times um, people who are unhappy, you know, with what they've got. And and for me, it's always the, I mean, the solution is right there in your hands. You know, I guess it's a spiritual approach in some way, you know, um, to, and, and then also I have to say that, you know, because you could probably argue, oh, but then if you say that, why didn't you just stick to your sideman kicks then, you know, um, I feel, I also feel at the same time that you have to be radical sometimes about certain things in your life and growth is pain, you know. Uh, on many, in many, many forms. So if you want to grow, sometimes you have to go through that pain. And again, <laughs> the, the logical side in me says, yes, but this is part of the deal. You know, like uh, sometimes I feel that people only want to have the sugar side of things. They're not ready to take the other bit that also comes with the same de- meal, you know. Uh, and, and, well, if you ask me how I developed it, I think it's just over time I feel sad for people who are not happy uh, when they are so privileged, you know, to live in Europe, to have all, to have life that, uh, you know, to have the comfort and the privilege of that billions of people in the world can only dream of, but still they're not happy. Wow. That covered a lot of topics, man. 
I mean, that's the thing with uh, someone like you. I mean, we could go on a cross-continental drive uh, and you know keep talking. We'd still keep talking at the end of that. I've been drive. missing this. I haven't heard yeah, it for me, a long time. Yeah, same here, same here, same here. And uh, we should definitely do a part two or at some point. Or I mean, part of the agenda is if I can sustain this endeavor, the podcast is to have the guests on regularly, like at least once a year. So I'm going to remember that point. I think I, that's something I really want to get into more in-depth because uh, there's a lot of material in there which I'm still investigating on my own. Pain and the role of pain in an artist's life, privilege and um, how, what exactly does privilege mean? How relative is it? How subjective is it? But I'm still processing right now. It's um, Yeah, that's going to have to be, again, another episode. Um, but I think the next episode will be I'll interview you and then we'll hear from you a little bit. Yeah, this is a good time for me to uh, work on some redemption here. So people out there, and I need to own some shit here. So th- the first podcast attempt ever done between the two of us was when Bernard actually came with this. And this was way before podcasts were even a thing. Uh, when he invited me to be one of his collaborators on Rhythm Diaries, the, the European edition. And we did a podcast and it was pretty good. And then I freaked out and said, no, 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 we can't do this because uh, <laughs> I hated the way I looked on camera. I have like serious insecurities about the way I look, uh, especially on camera. And uh, uh, it used to be like way worse uh, back then. It's pr- still probably pretty bad, except uh, my awareness levels are probably a little higher. So this is me owning that shit and apologizing officially to you for being such a dick. But please, you did the second. We did another one on Skype. You remember we did a, a beautiful interview with you i actually and don't remember that much but I you'll still, see it in the film you when the film what? comes out you know what i actually have uh that podcast somewhere the, like the original version which uh, i eventually freaked out on and uh i actually had that was actually a pretty awesome conversation too we got into some yeah. got to touch some deep topics as well yeah, I mean, I just for anybody who wants to check some uh, of the music out, uh, so TL and I did, um, I mean, you and I, we did the Rhythm Diaries and we did the Mannheim version and uh, we got to, it was uh, like a week where we got together and we created a whole new set together. Yeah. Uh, pretty, and yeah, it, it was, was fantastic. It was it was super intense. It was very uh, intense, yeah. And it was at the beginning of my journey. I think you were number two. So it was like I didn't have any references yet of how intense things could or actually, should come Actually, actually, uh, um, pre-production, I was one. Of, I was uh, the first, and then post-production, I became number two because eventually. But that was actually that's the right. F- the first stop uh, you made on Rhythm Diaries. Yes. Uh, the releases. It was the second release and not the first. Um, and yeah, I think, uh, I mean, um, being audacious enough to guess it was the first time you attempted something like that. I certainly did attempt something like that before. It was, uh, and now in hindsight, I'm really surprised at how well it turned out, all things considered. Well, I also can throw the, the baton back to you, you know, I mean, I, I wanted to, and I did thank you, but I, I want to repeat myself here. Um, you know, you really jumped on the idea, on the concept, uh, and and you you really took it up and you believed in it. Yeah. You know, I 
and it was it was fantastic and uh, I, I want to thank you for that you know to really believe in the idea because you know what happened with rhythm diaries after with cuba and brazil and south africa and the the idea grew from from the beginning and you were as you said you were the first city and oh. my first collaborator oh i hadn't thought of it that way now that that gives me like an entirely whole different dimension on the thing thanks man thank you brother i appreciate that but that being said also the idea the way the reason i jump in and jumped in was because i i genuinely believed in the idea i uh i mean i always wanted to work with you there's all that's uh, that aspect too but uh even in, in spite of all the wishes i i'm I'm pretty sure I'd have figured out some other way to work with you in the future if that hadn't worked. But that idea and three years or four years down the line, you know, it's proof. It was really badass. It was a badass concept. And, uh, you know, the fruits of the same are very evident to see in 2020 now. After six, four years? It's four, four years, years. Yeah. 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 So tell us more about that, man. What's happening now with Rhythm Diaries? Take us through. Um, well, I've taken the COVID situation now to, you know, where traveling has become such a far distant, you know, reality. And and I think a lot of us do miss it, you know. Uh, so to say, okay, you know what, let's release all the Rhythm Diaries travels. Let let people travel, you know. And of course, I, I'm, ha- I'm, I'm super excited to share it, you know, as well. So now um, we are at the moment we're releasing all the, the European diaries, which is 10 different cities, mm-hmm. 10 different um, collaborators. And then we will release the Brazil one where I went to Salvador de Bahia to collaborate with, uh, with Candomblé dramas there. Mm-hmm. And uh, then will be Cuba, where I spent five weeks uh, playing with uh, Roomba dramas in Havana. And there's also an album. There's a film and an album. Uh, these are always films and and albums slash tracks um and then then we will go back to india we will do a retrospect about india that will be in january uh december january and then in february we'll release the south african diary rhythm diary which was another really fantastic opportunity where i wrote a piece for string quartet and traditional african drummers and we performed it a couple of times and we worked in orphanages with children. We raised money with charities uh, and we brought together these traditional musicians with like a classical string quartet that will be in February. So overall, you can say it's like a good five months worth of of content that we're releasing. And for everybody, please feel free to drop in on my Facebook or my Instagram uh, that's where it's going to be. And then the albums will be on Bandcamp and the films will be sort of private screenings where uh, you can register for free and then you get you get a viewing link. Well, for my listeners, all these links just mentioned will be included in the episode notes. So make sure you uh, click on those and check all of it out. Uh, at you, Bernie, what's the best way for us to support you? Um, the best way at the moment is, um, to buy my albums. Gotcha. Yeah. And they are on Bandcamp. So the European one, European journey, it's called where you did a fantastic remix. And I have to tell you that I've been listening to this remix and it's kick ass. It's a beautiful remix. What you've done. Uh, Thanks man. I appreciate it. I got to say it was also, it was one of the remixes. I don't remix that much uh, that often anyway, but this one, it kind of sucked me in. Like I was in the zone without trying to be. 
So, well, you yeah. even uh, there's a little thing where you sing a bit of an Indian sargam, you know, yeah. for some for yeah. some radio. Which is something I, I, like, I, I, yeah, which I, you wouldn't do. I yeah, know that you. I do that do very it. rarely, like uh, I very know. very rarely. Uh, but that just showed me that you were you were in the zone, you know. Very much so. Would, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, this is officially the longest episode we've done till now on Tapas. Oh my God! Day. I'm always the one who talks the most. <laughs> no, no, quite the contrary. I've been talking, about, and I still feel like we're just barely getting started. If you can, uh, but um, we will have you on um, again, definitely. As long as the if the shows go goes on, it's definitely going to have Bernie on it again. Um, parting thoughts for uh, our audiences in light of the way things are and in light of you know, any anything you'd like to share with us before we sign off um did we miss out on anything is there something we should no 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 we we covered more than enough right. uh parting thoughts um i hope that we can all stay positive yeah. in this moment yeah. that we can look into the future in a positive way and we can appreciate uh the things that will come back and welcome new things that will change. I strongly personally believe that we have to change, that we couldn't go on the way we've, we've gone on. Um, um, that, you know, nature's given us a big one, you know, said, said, you know what, it's time for you to listen. You can't keep abusing me the way you do. So mm, I hope that we will, uh, you know, have more sustainable ideas, you know, economically. That I've, because I still think that the climate is still an emergency, even if people don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and hopefully in five years' time, we will look at this and, and, and see that a lot of new ideas that have come through, that have become mainstream, where people always said, no, we can never do this because you would have to stop the economy. Well, we are stopping the economy right now, <laughs> and it is possible. Exactly. So don't tell me anymore that it is not, it is not possible. Um, so hopefully some of those radical ideas will come through, and and we will appreciate more. Uh, yeah, I mean, you and I being in a room together, playing music and uh, playing in a room for people, it will be a beautiful experience, and I think it will come back. So let's just stay positive. Sounds good, brother. I like the sound of that. On that note, FYI, I'm gonna stop recording. Gratitude from the bottom of my heart for listening to the very end. Please consider taking a minute to subscribe to our show so you know when the next episode is out. This is a labor of love, one I hope snowballs into one that's sustainable in its attempt to support independent thought and authentic relating. And having you as a regular member of our audience is what makes that a realistic prospect. Much love, talk soon. Just another voice out in the crowd.